the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Common Grazing Finances. Hello, my name is Jeanette and today we are going to discuss Common Grazing Finances. We are going to be speaking to crofting expert Arthur MacDonald who will explain various systems that can make this task easier for common grazings. However, before we dive into the finances, why are common grazings important? Common grazings are the shared grazings that many crofters have grazing rights in. They account for approximately 6% of Scotland and are one of, one of the oldest and still existing models of community land management in Scotland. However, their legal structure is not the same as many other community groups that crofters are involved with, and this can cause confusion. So let's find out more about managing the finances of a common grazings. If you're interested in more information about common grazings, please visit the FAS website. Welcome, Arthur, to our podcast. How are you today? I'm fine, Jeanette. Uh, things are looking good here in Torridon, anyway. Excellent. And how's your weather today? Well, at the moment, uh, the ground is wet, the sky is dry, and that's fine for me. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, before we start, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with crofting? Yeah, surely. Uh, my name, as you've said already, is Arthur MacDonald, and I've been doing the workshops with the Farm Advisory Service, the Crofting Federation and the Crofting Commission to help committees and clerks understand and manage common grazings. And my involvement in that stems mainly from my experience in working with crofters since uh, around 1983. Initially, I was with the Agricultural Training Board and then moved into the Crofting Community Development Scheme, which was linked to the Crofting Commission, or Crofters Commission, as it was then. And latterly, I held various roles within the Crofters Commission and ultimately the Crofting Commission. I'm also the chair of my local grazing committee in Torridon, and I work closely with the clerks here. Great. So you'll have seen many changes in crofting uh, during your time working uh, in the field. And from the roadshows that you had with the Farm Advisory Service last year, one of the key points was that the common grazing finances are not to be run like a normal business or a club. Um, can you expand on what this means for the listeners? Yeah, surely. It's an area of common confusion, I suppose, that... Uh, because some of the terms used in relation to the regulation of a grazing are associated with businesses or clubs, you know, terms like committee and AGM, uh, grazing committee officials often get that confused with other organisations that they're more familiar with. But the grazing committee has a different function and responsibility. Principally, it's to do with the funds. And they are collected under the auspices of the grazing committee, but they're held on behalf of each shareholder as an individual. Whereas a club would manage funds from subscriptions and other sources as a single fund over which the committee have more or less full control. A business, again being different, would be involved in trading activity and would require to prepare accounts for tax assessment. That's not so for a grazing committee. No annual accounts are required for tax purposes. 
Okay. Even, even a club or association which has no tax requirement will almost always prepare an annual income and expenditure statement for presentation to its members. Uh, a grazing has no such legal requirement. Perhaps one of the things I've often said before, if you think about the grazing as having no bank account and no funds, it will give you an idea of how they were originally envisaged as operating and how they're expected to function. So if the grazing committee identify a need to repair some equipment on the grazing or even just to hold a meeting, they will incur costs. In order to take these things forward, they have to effectively demand the sums required from all the shareholders. And once they have the, the funds they need, they spend the money as they've indicated they were going to and then they're back to a zero balance and no further financial records are actually required. Okay, so, I mean, that's all sounding pretty complicated. Are there resources that can help clerks or treasurers of Common Grazing's Committee keep a handle on this? Yeah, I'm pleased to say that there are <laughs> there are some organisations and trying to assist with the, the understanding and the carrying out of these rather I don't, I don't think they're particularly complicated. They're just different, and that's, that okay. perhaps leads to some confusion. Uh, the Farm Advisory Service, which we're involved with, obviously, in this podcast, the Crofting Commission and the Scottish Crofting Federation have all recognised the need for additional guidance on these matters. And as indicated, this podcast is part of it. Last year, there were several local seminars on the subject arranged through these organisations. And I was involved in that, and I hope those attending found them useful. Now we're a bit more restricted in delivering information through local meetings. So the Farm Advisory Service have produced template financial record forms, which are available online, along with a video explanation on the use of the forms. The local SRUC offices will also be able to provide guidance on financial record keeping. It's worth the documents that, that are available. There are also some documents available on the on the commission website, which are templates which you can use. And the commission have put quite significant guidance onto their website for grazing committees to try and help them with what's involved. Yeah, that's great. We'll include the links to the commission's things um, along with the farm advisory service uh, as part of the information along with this podcast so um now there's lots of um as we've already gone over in this uh, podcast there's quite a lot of jargon involved with a uh, uh, crofting law and common grazings um now um there's uh, there's not that many issues on the common grazings finances that are strictly strictly regulated apart from resumptions so firstly i wanted to pick your brains about what are resumptions and if you uh, if you're a common grazing that does have a resumption what does a common grazings need to do yeah resumption is a term used to signify the removal by the landlord of an area of croft land from crofting status and because they're, they're not one of the things that happens on a regular basis, it's not always, not all committees are familiar with it when, it when it actually comes along. The resumption is achieved by the landlord applying to the Scottish Land Court. 
and he, it involves a consultation with shareholders when it, when the area is on the common grazing. That consultation can happen either directly, you know, landlord to, to grazing committee or to shareholders, or it may actually occur from the land court, depending on the relationship between the landlord and the, the shareholders and grazing committee. The shareholders, the most significant part of it perhaps, is that the shareholders have a right to compensation for the loss of that land, which approximates to about half the market value. And that compensation entitlement to the shareholders is normally remitted to the clerk for distribution to the shareholders in proportion to their share in the grazings. And that's normally based on the suming held by each shareholder. Okay, so say um, there was quite a substantial amount of uh, resumption money coming in and the common grazings thought, oh, we would really like to put this into a development, maybe a new, a new set of handling pens for cattle, cattle or sheep. If the common grazings committee wanted to keep resumption money for a future project like that, what can they do? Well, resumption money can, as you say, be significant sums because it's often related to the sale of land for development purposes. And it, a, a sharp committee could usefully consider timing larger maintenance projects or improvement proposals, as you've indicated, uh, to coincide with any known or upcoming resumptions. For this reason, and for the smooth passage of a mutually supported re resumption through the Scottish Land Court, it would be worthwhile, as I've said already, for committees to try and maintain as close a relationship with the landlords or owners of grazing areas as they possibly can. There is another factor in a resumptions which, although the, the committee through their clerk are res responsible for the distribution of resumption money, it doesn't appear that it has to be done immediately on receipt. So there is a bit of scope for a committee to try and manage that funding as it passes through their hands. Oh, okay, yeah. And so um, the, there's a sort of a set agreement that, like, if if the resumption money is all being paid out to the shareholders, there's a, a set formula for each um, common grazing as how it should be divvied out. But if the if the shareholders decided that they were keen to put the money into maybe a future improvement that had been discussed by the committee what how should that be paperized so it's uh, so it's 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 uh, like compliant with the law right uh, well if it's a, if it's something which is an improvement then there is a specific process which will be written into all the grazing regulations which tell them how they should intimate the committee's proposal to the shareholders. If it's an improvement, that notice, which is actually issued, it has to be issued in, by registered post, basically. It's one of these obligations that's defined in that way in the legislation. But it also has to alert the shareholders to the opportunity they have to refer any concerns they may have about the proposal to the Crofting Commission. And the Crofting Commission are empowered to amend or, in fact, refuse the notion of the improvement proposal entirely. The thing that, that perhaps 
causes the most confusion is the notion that some crofters will participate and some may not in terms of an improvement proposal. And it depends on the reason that they are putting forward for their non-participation or whatever representation they've made to the Commission, just exactly how the Commission would deal with that. But I think most committees would be best advised to make their initial calculations on the basis that all shareholders would contribute to the improvement in proportion to their interest in the grazing. And then if they have to make an amendment to that because some are effectively dropped out of that as the process goes forward, then they would have to re reorganise their financial profile. And some, you know, the remaining shareholders would obviously have to pick up the slack, if you like, in that situation. Now, this all does sound complicated, but the Excel sheet that is on the Farm Advisory Service makes all these uh, processes a, a lot more straightforward uh, rather than uh, all on having to do it all on pen and paper. Um, like we said before, when we had the, the workshops where you travelled around the, uh, the Outer Isles, there was a lot of common questions. So I thought we'd maybe retouch on some of the, the popular questions that came up during that time. Um, now, one of the... Uh, most popular questions was that if a shareholder has no stock, can the committee still ask them to contribute towards repairing or replacing a common grazing's fence? In short, yes. The, perhaps it could be phrased even more strongly than that, and the committee can and indeed are expected to levy all shareholders for their portion of costs involved in managing and maintaining the common grazing. This sort of section of activity of a, of a grazing committee is seen as slightly different to that of carrying out improvements, although it is also a duty of the committee to keep the potential for improvements under review. But where you have shared, shared assets on the common grazing and there is a requirement for any maintenance on that, the, uh, all, all the shareholders can be asked to take part. Well, it is, of course, difficult in some cases for committees to seek funds from everybody, particularly where they've got perhaps non-resident or non-stockholding crofters and the, the asset that they're actually going to work on is something which is specific to, to livestock. Mm -hmm. But the crofting system recognises this and there are there is the option for an individual shareholder to apply to sublet their crofting interest to, to someone else. And that, if it was successful, if the sublet's granted by the Commission, then that subtenant would carry the responsibility for that expense. Yeah, and that mechanism that you just talked about, the subletting, that could be a way of really helping invigorate our, our common grazings in, in the short term without waiting for people to, you know, like sometimes it takes a long time for families to decide that, you know, they're happy to exit crofting completely but whilst that those negotiations are happening if that share is, is sublet to a, another crofter who can actively use it and contribute to the grazings do you think that can be a positive thing i think it certainly could be i mean, I mean the, the the subletting is is something which has often been a there's a kind of myth around it where folk think that by subletting you somehow potentially lose control of your croft but uh, that's not the case. You know, subletting doesn't give any rights to purchase or take over a tenancy from a, a registered 
main crofter. So it's actually quite a safe way of, of trying to deal with what might be a short-term issue. The, the, the notion that it's a short-term issue is significant as the, no, the idea that you would simply have continuous sublets rather than putting a, a full new tenant into a into a croft is probably not as ideal. But it's up to each crofter to assess their own circumstances and family circumstances in particular to decide what the best thing to do in respect of a croft they're not able to actually utilise themselves. No, but it can be a very, um, it's certainly, it's not a permanent solution, but if there's um like the next generation are maybe working away and haven't decided their their where where they're wanting to if they are wanting to come back and croft full time it does give it means that the no uh, no doors are closed but then the but the asset isn't going to waste either in the meantime. No, I mean it's preferable to see things formally addressed. For one thing, it allows them a better record to be kept by the crofting commission as to the true position of of active crofters and, and inactive crofters across the board. But there is a, I don't know whether it's maybe worth mentioning at the point that the, the commission are slightly wary of uh, the use of sublets where crofters are not actually compliant with particularly the residency duty. And it's not seen as a, a long-term solution to that. No, maybe we should just touch on because um, people often think about the crofting duties in relation to the the inbuy ground, but obviously the crofting duties also apply to common grazing shares as well. So, do you want to maybe just reflect on the the duties and how that what effect that does have for if you're a crofter with a share in a common grazings? Well, it's all rather dependent on the commission's policies and capacity to deal with the whole business of duties and duty compliance and so on. There is a great deal at the moment in the press from the Commission about their intentions to try and improve their support to crofters who are perhaps not able to fulfil all the duties that are set before them. I mean, the, the main one is obviously that of residency within 32 kilometres of the croft. And if crofters aren't in that position, then they could be in difficulty if that was a a situation that prevailed for a long time. They've also got a requirement not to neglect the croft and they've got a requirement to, to cultivate uh, and maintain and so on. These are more, they're slightly more difficult to deal with because the definition for these various activities or lack of them is more vague and it's really just down to when the Commission have a look at it and see what's happening on a croft that they can decide whether or not there is a a duty compliance issue. You've also now got the option that not only on the croft but also on the common grazing you can put it to other purposeful use and that might be something that makes use of some part of the common grazing. It's hard to see how any individual crofter would actually be able to utilise the entirety of their grazing share for other purposeful use. That would be more more difficult. I mean, yeah. some people might think that other purposes use could be forestry, but that's not. Forestry is actually seen as a as part of the normal sort of accessible activity for a crofter. Okay. 
So I'm going to drag you back now to finances again, because um, in some pl- parts of the Crofton County, there's an awful lot of uh, common grazings that also have sheep stock clubs. So if a common grazing does have a sheep stock club, does the crofting law cover these fin- finances or are there other aspects to consider as that's really one business? Right. The Crofting Acts don't make specific provision for the management of a grazing through a stock club. The authority relating to the grazing will always rest with a grazing committee. Where stock clubs have been set up, there is usually provision in the regulation for that grazing, which affords guidance to the committee and shareholders on the interaction of the club and use of the common grazing. I mean, I suppose <clears throat> the fact, the thing is, you've got to sort of bear in mind that there are two organisations, if you like, or there are two two committees at least, one's not not strictly speaking at much of an organisation, it's just a forum, like the grazings committee. But they have to they have to account for their activities separately to some extent. The, the stock club will have a requirement to produce tax returns because they are a trading business. But they may well be operating in, in the case of a sheep stock club, it might well be operating on the same ground as crofters have their own individual cattle. So you've got to have you've got to have a sort of a forum where the management of the the bulk of stock and the sheep are actually interacted with the use of the, the same land for the cattle. So when you're when you're having your annual meetings, although you'll quite often find that the stock club office bearers are exactly the same people as are on the grazing committee. You have to keep a, a sort of separation as to what decisions were taken by which group or by the engagements okay. for each one. And obviously the financial recording for the stock club isn't a, of any interest to the Crofting Commission and there's no specific requirement. I mean, it's fair to say the Commission don't really have any interest in grazing committee finance anyway. It's a matter for the committees and shareholders to sort out between themselves. No, that's that's really interesting. Thank you. And if you are a sheep stock club and um, there's also specific guidance both on um, uh, potential structures and succession in sheep stock clubs and also a review to sort of check, um, uh, to a sort of health check for your sheep stock club that are all available on the Farm Advisory website, Farm Advisory Service website too. Now, um, here's a, 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 a tricky question coming up. Um, it's on the um, ever controversial topic of um, uh, vehicles and tractors. So if a common grazing wanted to cooperate and own machinery together like a tractor, what steps would you advise? Should they do it as a common grazing or another another structure? Right. Well, that's usually the, the issue usually is the, the, the business of accessing grants for that. And as we all know, historically, CAGS has never been available really to support mobile equipment, tractors or machinery. And part of the reason for that is the lack of the legal status of a grazing committee. And in fact, when the HIDB, if anybody can remember that organisation, the HIE, it was keen to try and provide finance to assist mechanisation, modernisation for crofters. 
they found that they couldn't really use, within their sort of normal remit provide funding to a grazing committee because it, there wasn't any way of actually dealing with uh, anybody in particular if the funds were misappropriated. For example, if you got an 80% grant to buy a tractor and then promptly sold it, who did they go after to get the money back? Now, they weren't comfortable with that, so they actually insisted that crofters formed local machinery groups which had a more normal type of constitution and the responsibility was vested in that group sort of collectively more strongly uh, or strong enough at least for the HIDB to assist and to some extent we're probably still in the same position that uh, you would have to form a separate group of like-minded crofters to share the purchase of machinery if you're not, you know, if you don't want to involve all shareholders, the asset that you bought would then belong to and be controlled by the participating crofters. Um, it might also be possible if you have a, a cohesive group like that with a proper constitution that you could access a broader range of funding sources. The only downside, I suppose, to the minority group purchase could arise if the asset that you have purchased is actually used in some way in the maintenance or even in improvements relating to the to the broader grazings and then that benefits people who are actually non-participants in the mm. in the minority purchase but there would also be would there also be a benefit to a, a different structure that had some form of uh, limited liability if you're going to have uh, be involved in things that potentially are more risky than because uh, am I correct in thinking my understanding is that a uh, common grazings committee, uh, everybody's liable? Well, the, the, the business of liability with regard to a grazing committee has been raised as, a, as an issue in the last year or two. And they were trying to find some way of deciding what exactly a grazing committee was. And it kind of stemmed, I think, from a community council who had an involvement with a claim against them because of a, a park bench or something of that nature that had collapsed. Right. And they were, you know, somebody, they, they appeared to be potentially liable for injuries to somebody because they had acquired the funding and arranged for the setting up of this bench. And that, that caused some alarm. And then somebody drew a parallel with the grazing committee and said, is they not the same? You know, what if they do something that, you know, has, a, has an impact on another person? How does it work out? And at this point in time, as far as I'm aware, that's not resolved. Yeah, you could you could find that you were liable, but the, the way the grazing committee generally functions is that each shareholder is is liable to the extent of their share in the grazing. So if there's an expenditure, then they chip into their ex, to the extent that their share represents. And if there's an, an income arises, they get a payment out of the system in relation to that and you know beyond that there's no kind of liabilities either way but if if it's a i mean you get into a very difficult area when you start looking at public liability or even perhaps employer liability now, i i suspect that there are quite a number of grazings out there who don't have employer liability cover no i um, imagine that's right but, there's no, there's no absolute evidence to say that they need it. 
it's something that one has to look at themselves. And to a large extent, I suppose it depends on what activities the grazing committee are actually undertaking. Because quite a number of committees have now moved into accessing funding from different sources, you know, things like environmental schemes and, and hydro and hydro and uh, wind turbine generation, that kind of thing. Uh, those things are completely out with anything that crofting legislation ever envisaged a committee would be involved in. And it's really up to the committee and their shareholders to sort out how they will actually deal with those deal with those things and any liabilities that might arise from them. Well, thank you very much, Arthur. I was just wondering if we wanted to end the podcast with your top three tips for Common Grazing's Clarks in 2021. Surely, yeah. Well, I would suggest, and I hope it's come through in our discussion, that uh, you should always remember the importance of communicating with shareholders. Oh, and that is all shareholders. Okay. Certainly, certainly you should be keeping in touch with them, especially if you're ever looking at spending any money. Secondly, I would suggest that you check and familiarise yourselves with your specific grazing regulations. There's a general assumption that grazing regulations are identical across the board. They are not. They're they're all based on the legislation, so they're similar. But you should certainly look at your grazing regulations on a regular basis. And your committee, at least, should have a copy, if not all shareholders. And thirdly, Jeanette, and I know this is in line with what the Crofting Commission would like to see happening, is you should consider whether your grazing regulations need to be updated. And you'll get guidance on assessing that through the Commission's own website. Fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much for all your time today, Arthur. And for all the Grazing's clerks and shareholders out there, we would like to thank you for your time listening and we wish you a prosperous and a harmonious 2021. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeanette. And uh, I wish you a very good New Year too. Thank you very much.